0: Runway one zero left wind shear alert three five not gain over runway American twenty three fifty five wind shear advisory in effect. You got a one zero left departure wind shear alert three five night for the runway. Do you want to wait it out?
1: What is your uh, wind type?
0: Uh, current airport wind two six zero one five gust two two. No, we can't do that.
2: The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own, or those of our guests, and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with over 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 137 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on the 5th of August, 2023 from the Mobile Aviator Sound Studios, from high atop the third floor of the Marriott Hotel in Fort Worth, Texas. On today's flight, I have the privilege to sit down with one of Legacy Airlines' newest first officers. We will discover how his journey in aviation started in Honduras and it led him to a Legacy Airbus pilot position at Legacy Airlines. We also recount our time together at long-term flight training here at Legacy. We will cover the process from interview to checkride. We'll also discuss captain PAs and how what you say can and will go viral in the court of social media. All this and more on this, the 137th episode of the Squawk Identity Podcast. (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard flight 137. This is your captain speaking. Well, not quite, at least not yet. The schoolhouse has been my home for the last five weeks. Tomorrow, my guest and I have a check ride coming up. Now, we're both type rated in the Airbus already, so it's not necessarily a type ride, but it is a check ride. And I lucked out. My training partner these past five weeks has been completely top notch, on the ball, top shelf, and I could not have asked for someone to be more prepared. And more knowledgeable on the aircraft, as I mentioned in the opener, my training partner was born and raised in Honduras, where his dream to become a pilot took hold. he's going to tell us all about that right now. Help me in welcoming to the show Gorky
1: Gorky how you doing Hi Tony doing great yeah, and thank you so much for agreeing to do this we're on know my pleasure I wanted to do this, you know I heard your podcast a couple of days ago and and impress. Well, thank you so much.
2: Now, you know, this is funny. We're sitting here in the third floor of the Marriott Hotel. N- didn't quite turn out to be what I expected. Now, we've talked about recurrent training before on the podcast. Um, some of the other co hosts and I have sat down and outlined what to expect an upgrade class. When R- Captain Rob went through his upgrade class, we talked about it. And I knew kind of what to expect because I've been through upgrade class before in my previous airline career, uh, my previous airline. And, you know, I was expecting a lot of the same. There were many similarities from a regional airline upgrade class. And there were many things that have happened a lot differently. Now, you're always concerned as an upgrading pilot that when you move from the right seat to the left seat, you want to have a partner that is going to be not only prepared and willing to learn the aircraft and go through all the ground school training and simulator events, but you also want a partner that is really a really a good stick. And you know, you don't really hear that much that term anymore, a good stick. And I really did luck out. The first time we met was day one. Now, what happens differently here at Legacy Airlines is When you upgrade, you go through long-term. We don't have the short course. And that's what I did at the regional airline. I don't know if, Corky, you and I had a chance to talk about this, but at the regional, I was on the Embraer 145 at the airline we affectionately call Sandpiper. And on the 145, if you held that seat on the right seat and you do an upgrade, it's called a qualified upgrade, meaning you don't have to go through long-term. It was a much, much more abbreviated course. They don't have that here. And the reason they don't have that here at Legacy, I've been told, is because when you do that, then you have a bunch of captains upgrading in a, a matter of a week and a half. And then you have all these FOs that are paired with other FOs to do a type ride. And it's really, it's not good. It's, there's some negative learning going on. You're switching seats and you're, you're having to learn two roles. And it's not productive. So the company has decided here at Legacy that they're not going to have the qualified upgrade, and everyone's just going to go through the long course, regardless if you've been on the aircraft already typed or not. And that is the process that we're going through. Now, what I really wanted to do is focus on, we're going to get to our time together and what we've been up to the last five weeks. And for those listeners out there that are thinking, wow, you know, it's been a long time since you put out your last podcast. It has, and we warned you, we warned you, ladies and gentlemen, that this might happen uh, on the last show, but uh, this is exactly it. We have been focused five days a week on getting through systems, getting through validations, getting through maneuvers, validations as well, and and that's really been the focus. And then your days off, all you want to do is just decompress and pass out. Well, Gorky, when I met you, you told me a little bit about your history. Because that's the first thing we do, right? Yeah, exactly. And your history really did impress me. And I really want to start at the beginning. So here you are. You're growing up with your family in Honduras. And you're, did you decide you wanted to be in aviation as a young child? Or was that something that you later on discovered?
1: Well, it's, you know, it's weird because nobody in my family is related to the aviation business. So even in my case, I was born and raised in a really small town back in Honduras, so even a small airfield, no, not at all. So I went to, you know, elementary school, high school, and then when I finished uh, high school, I had the opportunity to move to the capital city in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Then uh, I started my college degree, and once I finished, I remember seeing, uh, you know, the airports, airplanes around, kind of impressive because i engineering and everything else. However, in my mind, in order to become a pilot, you have to be like an Air Force pilot before, going to the military and then do the transition. But no, no. then I realized that there are different ways to do that. And one day, one of my co-workers, he used to fly these RC models. Mm-hmm. And he told me, you know, there are really a small flight school at the County International Airport. Uh, We should go there, find out what's going on, what's the basic process to start with uh, flight training, and maybe do like a familiarization flight or something like that. And we did it. And I'm glad we did it. That's where it start. So you
2: have like a discovery flight. Yeah, exactly. Discovery flight. Do you remember what kind of airplane that was?
1: It's a Cessna 150. Oh, 152? Or 150? 152.
2: 152, Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so here you were just taken up in the pattern and and it's yeah, like exactly. About an hour long or how was it?
1: Yeah, maybe it's like just like thirty minutes flying around the city. You know, uh, pretty close to the sky because it's a really small town. Mm-hmm. And then, well, I realized this is what I want to do the rest of my life. That's it. Yeah, That was worth a bug, but I didn't you. have the like the resources or the know how how to start. So, well. I had to start, you know, saving some money and thinking about a plan. How old
2: were you when this was happening?
1: Uh, like around 25 maybe. Okay.
2: Yeah. So you are already college bound or you were already graduating? Yes,
1: I, I was uh, about to finish a college degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And you were telling me you have a college degree in something other than aviation. What is
1: it? Yes, uh, computer science.
2: So computer sciences. So here you are. And maybe some listeners listening to this podcast right now are going, wait, hold on a second. Here you are having an education in computer sciences, in IT, something that you know a lot of people are after these days, and you decide to go make a sharp right turn and go into aviation. Did your parents and did your family say anything negative about making that move? Or were they very supportive?
1: Well, at the beginning, it was kind of hard because um, then w- when I finished my college degree, I started working for a, a big company, let's say that, and I got some good money. However, you know, moving to a different careers, yeah, it, it was like a gamble because uh, I didn't have experience at all related to the field, nobody in my family, uh, Knew about that, so uh, pretty much I start everything from scratch. So by but but I knew it uh, because I I did my own research about you know the future. uh, What are the the future plans uh, in my career? What 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 else can I get in a couple of years? And I told myself, you know, sometimes you have to invest in something in order to get some uh you know the return of this investment right and at the beginning was hard because uh living working as an engineer i got some good money and then i have to move from uh this career it to aviation and the money was not too good like like here it's pretty much the same scenario a couple years ago but uh i did it anyway yeah yeah
2: and this is what you're
1: well, I started working as a commercial airline pilot uh, 11 years ago.
2: 11 years ago. So yes. 11 years ago, in Honduras, yes. you were flying for an airline outfit. And what was
1: that? Was that your first airline job? Yes, exactly.
2: And what, what airline, if you can...
1: Um, it's a former TACA Airlines, so it's a regional airline from TACA, which uh, later became Avianca. Mm-hmm. So that's that the company that I used to work for.
2: And what was the first airplane you were flying?
1: ATR-42, 300 series.
2: So how many passengers does that carry?
1: It's like around 48 passengers. 48? Mm
2: -hmm. And so did you have a flight attendant and everything?
1: Yes. Okay.
2: You're flying in and out of Honduras on your very first airline job, which was the ATR-42. What kind of flying? Like, what was a
1: typical flying sequence for you? ATR is a regional aircraft. So pretty much uh, flights uh, 200 miles away from our base. So like short hops. Short flights. Yeah. Uh, Central America is is not too big, you know. Even Honduras is smaller than Florida, so uh, usually ATR works perfectly for a market like Central America, so you can go from Tegucigalpa to San Salvador to Guatemala, even to San Jose, Costa Rica. It's just perfect. So uh, sometimes, a couple of years later, I have the the opportunity to fly um, Colombia as well. Okay. A couple of times. So it has the autonomy and endurance to, to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So and were you so you were doing a lot of the regional flying. Yes. And you were going even outside of the country into mm-hmm. the other
1: international flight
2: Into into the countries in Central America. Yes. And
1: did you ever get anything further out? yeah, uh, you, know, you know the the aircraft was a. Uh, Pretty much capable just for regional flight. So, yeah, Central America and sometimes Colombia, as I mentioned before. Yeah.
2: What was like the longest flight you were doing
1: back? Then? Uh, one time I did uh, a ferry flight from Guatemala to Bogota. Okay. Yeah, and like and an then, hour and a half, two hours. No, no, no. It's, uh, it's like four hours. Four hours. Yeah, this it's not too fast. You know, the airplane is not too fast. So, and what was a typical uh, cruising
2: altitude in that?
1: uh like twenty level, two three zero around two three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And how
2: many years were you there doing that? Almost ten years. Ten years. And yeah. how long did it take you to upgrade? Uh three years. Now you've you've looked at and you've been in the US market now for quite some time and you've seen how the US market operates. If you were to compare flying at a one twenty one operator in the US to your experiences flying for like, a regional carrier out of Honduras, what were the biggest differences between the two?
1: Well, you know, uh, even flying a regional aircraft like ATR, uh, years later I had the opportunity to fly the ATR seventy two 600, which is the same model that Silver Airway has here. So it's a great airplane. So, But this is a completely different market. You know, this is the main market in the world, U.S., And there are hundreds of airports around, and the purchase uh, power that the people have here uh, is completely different than Central America or South America, you know. You mean your clientele wise? Exactly, exactly.
2: So, who are your normal clientele out of Uh, Central America? Mostly
1: people. We were like a feeder airline because Mm -hmm. we were like a. Uh, really big company, so mostly our customer they used to fly from let's say Tegucigalpa to San Salvador, which was the hub, and then international flights from there. using Airbus, yeah, uh, flight to South America on US on, on Avianca, then yeah, exactly, pick them up and yeah, yeah,
2: okay. And so you know, you were there, you you started a family, got married, had some children, and. Decided, I mean, how did that work where you decided I want to do something different to get out?
1: Well, uh, you know, for all of us, 2020 was a uh, what can I say about this? You mean a terrible year, the, the COVID. COVID.
2: Okay. Yeah. So the pandemic happened.
1: Yeah, exactly. And March 2020, well, COVID hit. And in Honduras, We were on lockdown for almost eight months. The whole country? The whole country. Yeah, the borders closed. What was it like? I mean, could you not leave your house or... Yeah, exactly. In order to leave your house, you need to get like a... um, Pass. Pass or something like that. You need to contact the local police and let them know, you know, um, if you were like running a business, you were entitled to do so. However, um. We used to go to like a supermarket or drugstore based on your last number of your ID card. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Uh, for example, my number, zero at the end. So my day was Mondays. So if I need to go to the bank or restaurants or somewhere else, well, no restaurants, like a drugstore or basic buy food. Basic, grocery buy food, store, yeah. Only on Mondays. Uh-huh. Yeah. Something like that. It was kind of hard. But, well, it is what it is. Uh, Now it's over. Uh, Well, anyway, uh, 2020 was really a hard year. And my former company, they decided to, you know, they shut down the whole operations. And all of us, pilots, flight attendants, maintenance, gate agents, uh, all of us, we were pretty much four longer or laid off. So Mm -hmm. it was the end. and then at uh, October, the same year uh, they decide to, you know, to relax the restrictions and for some reason the company decided, you know you should go to the sim and to do your recurrent training and we did it and finally uh, I had the opportunity to fly one more time December 2020 but then the I guess the company realized that we were not ready yet in terms of the market, mm-hmm. and 2021 was my last flight. That Avianna, oh, wow. oh, yeah, okay. that's kind of sad. But, uh, but in the in the middle of the darkness, um, around September 2021, um, I had the opportunity to come here. Yes, yeah, so I got my green car mm-hmm. and. You know, checking the news every single day. And they, I realized that the market here was, uh, you know, surprisingly recovering really fast. Yeah. So I thought to myself, you know, you should go there. Now you have the green car. I always, you know, it was my dream, you know, coming here mm. and work for a company like the one that I, that i now, and um, yeah, I did it. Yeah.
2: Now yeah. you were telling me, we were talking earlier in the month where, you know, you go out and have dinner together and, and we'll get to how you and I met and, and the process of our training here in, in a moment. But you know, you and I were talking over dinner and you were explaining to me that getting the, the visa to come here and to get uh, the, the resident alien ship for the visa almost didn't happen. You almost you had to apply for it, and you it's kind of like a lottery, right? Yeah. uh, So how does that process work? So you're you're an airline pilot, and and what kind of airline uh, licensing or or regulatory uh, agency is governing the pilots over in Honduras? Is it? It's not the FAA, obviously. What what is it?
1: uh, The um, the current name is a a hack. That's the name in Spanish, but it's is pretty much the um. Aeronautical uh, agency,
2: yeah. And is it just for Honduras, or is it all? Of no, Central no, America? just for Honduras. Each but company, Honduras each,
1: each uh, country has its, its own, you know, regulatory regulatory agency. Or, yeah, so agency,
2: yeah. Now you here you were you have your licenses, your commercial, your your ATP or whatever the equivalent is, and now you you having all this hard time, your company shutters its doors not once but twice, and you decide I'm. The U.S. market is much better at the rebound after the COVID pandemic happened. And so there's a lot of opportunity in the U.S. And you saw that. And how did that process work for you to apply for your visa and then win the lottery?
1: There were many things involved in my decision making, you know. First, even without having the visa on my hand, uh, I came here at the beginning of 20. 21, and I decided, you know, I had to start my license conversion process, my local ATP to FAA ATP. Mm-hmm. And I love Airbus, so I went to a flight school in Fort to start my conversion process, ATP CTP program, and then the type rating. And I did it, and I got you my. You did
2: it, and you paid for it. Yeah, I paid for it. So you came, you came to the U.S. on a, was it a travel
1: visa. Yeah, uh, So while basic, you're uh, while you visiting you yeah.
2: you came in and you paid for your mm-hmm. ATP C T P conversion. Exactly. And with that you went to a, a sim company to get your Airbus A three twenty type exactly. rating. How long did that process take?
1: Uh it took almost um a month. Okay. From the whole program, ATP, C T P and then the the initial type rating. Yeah. And then Well, at the end, I got my FAA, ATP Airbus, so Mm -hmm. that's great. I didn't have, you know, the legal requirements to come here to work for a U.S. company. However, I knew an FAA license is valuable no matter where you want to go, right? Mm -hmm. So I did it. And then, regarding to the visa process to come here, you know, I think I am persistent. And every single year, you know, some some countries in the world, um, Honduras was one of them, but not anymore. At the Department of State, they, they have this, it has this program, Diversity Visa Lottery. It, the program is designed to encourage people from different nationalities to come here in order to have like a really diverse country. South African people, Asian people, uh, South American, Central American people. And it was a free program to participate. However, it's a lottery. In order to win the program, you have to participate in the process. But it's not just you. Millions and millions are doing the same at the same time. It's free. But I did it. I did it seven times. Wow. Yeah. That's Every single this year. Is the- was Every that, single year. It's called the diversity... Diversity Visa Lottery. Visa oh, Lottery. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I did it uh, during the seven years. Sometimes, I don't know if it's uh, destiny or if you have faith. uh different things. But then in 2020, uh, in the middle of the COVID, uh, we realized as a family that we were winners. Yeah. Wow. But we didn't get the visa immediately, you know. We want the opportunity to participate in the process. Hmm. It doesn't mean you're going to get your visa. Oh, okay. It's not guaranteed no at guarantee. all. yeah. Yeah. And besides that, every single U.S. embassy in the world was closed. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of, oh, my God. I got this, but at the same time, kind of disappointed. Uh but as I mentioned before, I'm persistent and I have some faith. Yeah, so um, I did what I had to do. You know, uh, everything has to be done perfectly. I said to myself: documentations, uh, uh, birth certificates, marriage license, everything. Mm-hmm. And then I sent a couple of uh, emails to my local embassy in order to, you know, to like accelerate the process. However. And they never respond because, you know, they we're block. not operating. Yeah. So. And usually this program, it has like a expiration date. Mm. It's based on fiscal, fiscal year, so every single year ends. Uh, every single like uh, uh, what can I say about this? The application or yeah, the application process ends at uh, September. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, September thirty. So if you don't get your visa by September thirty, it's over.
2: Oh, so you yeah. you forfeit your exactly your opportunity. Your yeah, process.
1: even yeah. if you uh, if you was if you were one of the um, winners, it doesn't mean anything. You are mm-hmm. over. So, but anyway, at the end, so for any reason, well, the world. Start moving, you know. And mm. my local embassy, they decide to start like a, um, doing these interviews. Mm. So, like maybe like six days before the end of the, uh, the, the application process, we receive a, a phone call like uh, seven a.m. in the morning. I was ready. I was waiting for that day, and. Uh, one of the these um, officials he told me you know you have to be here tomorrow for interview but besides that you need your your medical stuff everything has to be done so I moved immediately like ten minutes later I was in a hospital trying to get everything you know tested and the day later and we went to the interview with a US officer and well, you got the visa. That's it. Yeah, like six with days. days,
2: six days left before the opportunity yeah, would have it. expired. Yes, exactly. You got it, and this was twenty twenty one. Yeah, twenty twenty one. September twenty twenty one. Yeah. So, so you win the this not just you win the lottery, but you get approved for this
1: visa to come to the. Yeah, press. exactly. Once you get um, once you finish the your interview, uh-huh. you immediately know if you. Uh, pretty much he will get the visa. So we knew it. And then a couple of days later, we received our passport with visas and we decided to come here. That's it? Packed it all up? Yeah.
2: And did you, you, you flew over and had everything shipped or did you start fresh?
1: Uh, starting from scratch.
2: Wow. And with everything. two children in tow? Yeah. Yeah. And how old were your kids at the time?
1: Uh, my daughter, uh, by that time, 10 and 3.
2: Ten and three. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, not, not
2: very, uh, not easy traveling no, not with children. You know? you
1: know, even within the same country, moving to different cities, it's, it's tough. It's, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It's challenging. Not to mention moving to a completely different country, different culture, Yeah, and many other things to learn. Yeah. But we did it. You, you know? did it. And
2: you and you settled down in South Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what made you pick Florida?
1: Well, it's, it's close, very close to Honduras, just from Miami, flying to my, from Miami is just two hours and a half. Yeah, yeah. And besides that, uh, this cultural shock uh, won't be an issue because right. pretty much Florida is like extension of Latin America. That's it. Yeah, it
2: is. Yeah, South Florida, I, I often joke that it's another country. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> it's a separate country. <laughs> Many place. of my characters they say the same. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. And it's great. You know, it's it's you, you it's really indeed. don't even need to speak English because everyone speaks some kind of Spanish yeah. or Dominican. But these are different atmosphere. Puerto Rican, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And well besides that, my um I have some family there. Oh okay. so it's important to have some support or
2: absolutely. Yeah. So you got settled in, but that didn't necessarily mean you had a job. No, 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 of course not. So how did you do it? How did you, how did you transition from oh, moving yeah. into another country, finding a place to live, getting your family situated, getting your kids into school or whatever they needed to be in, and then
1: uh, did you just start applying? Well, um, moving to a different country is tough. So you have to start from the basics, I didn't have a, like a place to live, a job, a driver's license, a bank account, basic stuff. So I start from, from the basics, doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then a couple of days later, and there's a, you already know this, uh, these uh, aviation forums like NGPA GPA or major events. Mm-hmm. So I have been reading a lot about US aviation for many years, so I knew that going to places like like that one, is a it's a great opportunity. So
2: yeah. there's so many organizations out there that mm-hmm. help young aviators and even older ones get into the industry and and help. Yeah, them with many their of these re- really process.
1: good you know organizations, yeah. Latino Pilot Association WABAP, uh-huh. Artaga, Artaga, GPA. Yeah, they're great. All of them. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, when I came here, it was around. Um, October at the beginning and then i completely moved like by february 2022 so it was about time to go to ngpa and i knew many other lands were uh, it will be there like legacy major cargo mm-hmm. everybody so i prepare everything a resume letter of recommendations logbook mm-hmm. uh College degrees, transcripts, um, everything, you know. Yeah. And I went to this place, uh, NGPA and Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. And I had a really, really great time there. Well organized. It's a perfect place to, you know, not working. And, and I have a couple of uh, one-to-one interviews with recruiters. Mm-hmm. And I felt really good. So... Yeah. By the same day, I have like a four or five different um interviews invitations. So four
2: interviews Yeah,
1: regional individual. and major airlines as okay. well. Okay.
2: And you ended up you got a couple um offers to interview.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Right
2: there, right at the yeah. convention, you on got spot. offers on the spot. Yes. And you elected to go to what we hear at at uh, Squawk Ident, we affectionately call Pioneer Airlines. You already had the one-on-one interview, then they invited you to come to their corporate headquarters to exactly. do the HR and all that yes. stuff. How did that process go?
1: Uh, well, um, as a pilot, you know, that commuting could be, you know, something to have to yeah, it's think about. very tough, about. yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And if you have families, it's even more important.
2: Especially small kids. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I knew that there are a couple of uh, really good companies um, that they have Miami as, as a base, right? Ah, okay. So that's why my, that was my first like a.
2: Uh, so more than pay, more than equipment type, more than the prestige of a particular carrier you opted for quality of life to be as close to home as possible.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was uh, my top priority. However, I took into account other elements, like I was already type on Airbus, so uh, I knew that could be a really competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be close to home, mm-hmm. and Airbus, if it was like, possible. An Airbus type, yeah. Yeah, and besides that, company uh, reputation as well you know Mm -hmm. it's a it's a really good system here i know we have a really good safety records uh, um, along the industry so i was not worried about pretty much uh, safety concerns things like that not at all
2: so none none of the places that were offering you interviews were you thinking to yourself oh this company is not ready no anymore. no no not
1: at all actually In the
2: us we have a very yeah, high standard is exactly yeah
1: yeah. every single company that i had the chance to uh talk to their recruiters really great companies mm-hmm. so but sometimes you have to you know nowadays you have the opportunity to pick one yeah. right uh so that's what i did
2: you you ended up at Pioneer Airlines, and you went through their long-term ground school. What year was this, Two thousand end of 2001 or early 2002?
1: Uh, 2002.
2: So early 2002. Yes, like
1: at, um, April or around April. Around April. 20th. So yeah. you
2: went to Pioneer Airlines. They're based somewhere in, was it Denver? I,
1: I did it at Denver.
2: You came in and you did your new hire indoctrination or doc. Yeah. And you went through and you went and had to learn all the company policies and procedures. And that took probably a couple of weeks. And then you went into systems. Now, was that a classroom environment or was it more one on one?
1: A classroom environment at the beginning.
2: So, how many people were in your class?
1: Uh, plus 50. Wow, 50 people. Yes. Wow. And you're all sitting was there going through class? like
2: what PowerPoint presentations and yes. manuals and, and all, you know, you have everybody has tablets now. I don't think anybody has books anymore for their. For their procedures, but so you're going through all this, and how long was indoctrination for you?
1: Uh, around three weeks, maybe three weeks. So I can't recall. Yes, like a, three weeks. Yeah.
2: And did they pay for like? Obviously, they put you up in a hotel and all that stuff. But did they pay you throughout the process? Yes, you, get it, you were collecting a. They did it. Income? Yeah. So ten years experience, flying regional ATRs, turboprops, uh, as a captain. And and you've had international flying, you did a lot of high terrain, you did a lot of uh, going into airports that...
1: Special, airport, special, special
2: use yes. airports, high elevation airports, uh, airports that have maybe more difficult airspace requirements and drift downs and all these things that our international pilots get. But you were doing this day in, day out as part of your normal thing. Then you come over to the U.S. through this wonderful process that you were able to won, win this this position in this lottery to get through the Department of State, to get a visa, to come to the U.S., to buy your own type rating, to pay for your own type rating, then come in, interview at one of the organizations out there, um, the NGPA, was it? Yes. Okay. So you go to the NGPA, you get on the spot one-on-one interviews. You come back, you get invited. You end up at Pioneer. You're in Indoc. You're in there with fifty other new hires, and now you start your systems uh, training. Yes. And that training was that also classroom environment or was that one-on-one as well?
1: At the beginning was um, classroom environment. Okay. Then uh, we were assigned like a sim partner. Mm-hmm. I remember the one that I had really great guy, a former Air Force guy. So he was uh, type already. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, we did a really go- uh, good team as well. Yeah,
2: yeah. So just a lot of simulator training mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, maneuvers validations and
1: procedure validation maneuvers. A lot of so scenario
2: based training. Yeah, yeah. It took and a couple of weeks. So you passed. Yes, and you went through IOE. Yes. And then you did your IOE out on the line, Airbus pilot, and you were based where? Miami. So here you were, Miami based at a major airline, at Pioneer.
1: And how was that? Flying? Well, at the good? beginning, it was kind of challenging, but I knew that uh, I was capable enough to perform my duties in a safe way. Mm-hmm. So, of, of course, um, this is my first one-to-one airline. So mm-hmm. you have more experience, so you already know this, but you have to prepare, to be prepared. So that's what I did. Every single day, prior every fly, even a couple of days before, and I did my own research, yeah, trying to look at uh, where usually... We fly what kind of routes? Uh, uh, the wrong way that we usually use. Spot everything. You know, so so you be. were
2: prepping because you were a line holder
1: at yes. that point, and you were. What you're telling me
2: is that days before your sequence or your mm-hmm. your trip for that yes. week, you would be looking at the Jepson charts, the airways, the the flight plans, and you were really kind of. Trying to stay ahead of what was going to be expected of you, so that you were familiar.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because you know it's completely different. If you come here, uh, let's say if you work for Avianca, it's completely different. If you, once you get in contact with Miami uh, Center, you say something like Avianca one two three, they already know that you, you're you're speak Spanish, right? Just your first language. Yeah. However. If you call ATC and you say, um, locally, US yes, airline 123, mm. they don't know you. They will assume you that you have been here for many years. So it's so it's now they right? turn
2: left heading 076. Yeah, exactly. 5, 000. Different accent, different yes. region. So, and you'll say, uh,
1: okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> say again, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, but, um. At the beginning, it was uh, it was tough. Maybe a couple of days. Yeah, but then uh, it felt much much better. Yeah, confident. But your English is very
2: very good. I mean, you you spoke English even before you came here, correct? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so it's not like this was like you're learning a language and
1: no, the no. system.
2: You already. But this is
1: completely different because you know usually every single day as a pilot, uh, even being English like a like a. Official language proficient, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So, but uh, you talk to ATC Spanish, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, we used to fly to Belize. Uh, ATC speaks English, however, uh, it's not the same, right? So, right. you had to get used to it, right? And that's what I did yeah. at the beginning. So, you were to-
2: dealing with language barriers, but in reverse. Yeah, Most exactly. Most of us in the U.S. that... Is that the, the other way around, I know. Yeah, we've been here maybe 10, 20, 30 years, yeah. or maybe we're native and we're born here, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever the case. So our, our understanding and our ability to pronunciate and understand what radio communications are happening are very clear and easy to us. But then when we go and fly in an international airspace, like when we're going down to, for example, Suriname, or you're going into Quito or somewhere, and you're traveling and you're crossing multiple countries' airspace, that's a barrier. It's a barrier of communication. And a lot of times, you know, people that are training these international flying will tell you be careful because the controller might only know certain phrases and you might speak english to them and it's their second language and so you have to be careful because they might go clear uh, cleared uh cleared, that's requested but they don't really understand what you're asking and next thing you know you've got cumulus granitus in front of you and you know now you got a problem you end up on the news so we kind of take that for uh, take advantage of that and we kind of take that for granted is what i'm looking for uh because When we're here in the U.S., we think, oh, it's not an issue. But here you are, you're coming to the U.S. for a better life, for a better life for your family, for more financial and career opportunities. And even though your English is very good, still you were struggling at the beginning. Yes. And you were struggling the same way we struggle.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just that
2: when we come to your country, we struggle, and now you're in our country, you were struggling. But
1: to be honest, at the same time, I used to fly with certain captains. They, They love to fly with someone who speak Spanish yes. going south. absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, besides I'm that, that guy too. could be really helpful in order to get some good food uh-huh. and things like that. Doe with, with the gate agents or, you know, people are there nice. So Yeah. So, but sometimes really good. Uh, it's important to have the same color even <laughs> sometimes. Yes, yes. Yeah. Th- people feels you know, connected in certain way, right? Yeah. And if you speak uh, their same language so they will feel yeah. better maybe yeah and, and we're going to cover more about gorky's
2: adventure and his journey in aviation and what we've been going through with long-term training on the airbus right after the break And ladies and gentlemen, we're back from the break. Now, we've been speaking with Gorky, my sim partner, here at Long-Term Training at Legacy Airlines on the Airbus. We're going to talk about the process, the upgrade that I've been going through, his initial that, we're, that he's been going through. But before we get into that, I just want to wrap up his journey in aviation, how he got here. So here you were at this airline that we call Pioneer, and you had been there how long? About About a year and a half?
1: Yeah, something around a year and a half. Yeah.
2: So, in a year and a half, uh, you went from being a new hire to a pretty senior first officer. Relatively. Slightly senior, yeah. Yeah, like around 50%, you said?
1: Yes, around 50%.
2: Yeah. So, you were holding a line. Quality of life is good. Family's settling in. And what made you start looking elsewhere?
1: If you want to move somewhere else, this is the time. This is the best time in U.S. history for pilots, right? Yes. Yeah. So seniority is everything. I don't have too much experience here, but I realize that seniority is everything. So you have to move fast Mm -hmm. because every single week at each legacy airline, you will have um, 50 more pilots, hundreds sometimes. So you have to be fast.
2: Yeah. Get in while you can. Get in the front door, get in the back door, get in the side door, get in while you can. And now you're absolutely right, Gorky. This is the time. We were having breakfast the other day and some young 19, 20 year old who's here for the summer, probably, you know, visiting with stepmom or stepdad or something, just hanging out because he goes to school in a different state. And he was our waiter and he was talking to he us Hey, are you guys uh, some of the pilots that are, that are staying around here and stuff, and he really didn't know much about the the company and the, how this is headquarters and stuff. He starts asking us some questions, and you and I just start having a conversation with this kid. And he was a really he was yeah, a great cool kid. Yeah, yeah. Was, he's got a head on his shoulders. He was very bright. He was he really was attentive in his job, very professional. And so we gave him some advice about aviation because even though he's not in the aviation program back in college. He was very interested in it. So we gave him some advice. But that's how it all gets plugged in together. We told him the same thing you're saying right now. Now is the time. Boeing just released some numbers last month. What was it, five hundred and forty thousand new pilots in the next twenty years of worldwide? That's a lot. You're right. It's scary because is that gonna mean if we can't make those numbers? that we're going to have single pilot operations? I don't know. I don't uh, think in my lifetime, but that's for another podcast, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> so so Gorky, you, you, you're ready to move on. You're ready to move in. How did you make the leap from Pioneer to Legacy?
1: Okay, in order to, in my particular case, in order to move to a Legacy airline, I need to build some experience, right? hmm And that's what I did in my former LMS. And now I feel, well, I am confident about my capabilities and my personal development. So I went one more time to this um, NGPA. Okay. Because, uh, well, it's worth, you know, the last year I did the same. Got a couple of interviews. Mm. So...
2: They worked the first time.
1: Yeah. Why not? Exactly. And by this time, well, I have more you know, competitive advantages than before.
2: Right. Yeah. Now you're a working
1: pilot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a it's complete difference. If you go to one of these um, aviation conferences without even having a job, it's kind of tough, right? Mm-hmm. Something. if you have financial issues, things like that, you are going to go and pick the first one. But not this time. I was, uh, thanks God, in a better position. So I had the opportunity to really think about my future. That's what I did. And I went to NGPA one more time. And I had the opportunity to have my one-to-one with one of these uh, legacy recruiters. Really fine lady. And... She gave me a couple of uh, really good advices. You know, you have to fix this. Uh, try to improve this, and I did. Yeah, I I did my my best. A couple of days later, I received uh, an invitation, oh. interview invitation. Mm-hmm. My first uh, priority was, you know, you you need to be prepared. This is one lifetime opportunity. So I did my research. I went online. I talked to one of my mentors who is already here so he told me you know be prepared don't waste this opportunity yeah and that's what i did i studied a lot i i i checked every single you know background details licenses driver records everything because you have to disclose everything right mm-hmm. and even college transcripts everything and i i went to to the interview. Well I prepare. I, I pay for uh, this prep company and they gave me really good tools. Uh, it helped me to build my confidence and and I had my interview. So you so you
2: actually paid for uh, interview, some interview prep. Okay. Yes. And was that expensive? Um around nine hundred Wow, okay, yes, so it's others. not cheap.
1: No, not at all. And it's what, worth
2: it. And what's involved in that? Is it just like an online thing? or? Mm,
1: uh, okay, let me explain this to you. First, they're going to send you a couple of PDF and some audios in order to, you know, prepare your answers. Okay. And a couple of days later, you will have a one-to-one interview with one of the their representatives oh, okay which uh, many of them they used to work as recruiters from these companies from these airlines oh, okay. so they they know so they know how uh how people what behave, how pirates behave so yeah. what kind of question may be right. asked so so she told me uh, you know t- you have to fix this improve this um, this is the best way to answer these questions, oh. things like that. Mm-hmm. And a couple of days later, they arranged uh, like a mock-up interview. Mm-hmm. One captain and one human resource resource representative. And we did an interview, like a real interview.
2: Yeah.
1: And they didn't say a single word until the end. Uh, okay. Yeah, so in order to feel the real pressure yeah and like a real interview so it was just perfect you know because these uh tools help you to build your confidence all right yeah and I'm glad that I did that because you don't want to waste time you don't want to waste an opportunity like that all right and as a pilot all of us we are well-prepared, we know what to do. But sometimes uh, you need to like to find the perfect words or the phraseology or the right way to answer right. certain questions. Sometimes
2: yeah. it's not the words you use,
1: but it's the way, it's that the you, way you're using them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly.
2: So you ended up at Legacy Airline, at HR, doing your interview. You had two the line captains that were asking you the questions. Yes. How did that interview go? Was it intimidating at first? No, not at all. Because you had the prep.
1: Uh, besides that, even without having a, a prep, they are professionals.
2: Okay. They made you feel.
1: Yes. Welcome. They care about that. They, they, yeah. Besides that, they want you there. Yeah. Yeah. They know that you are well prepared, that you are capable of, that you are professional. So, but they they have to check if everything's right. true. So um, besides that, you have to. Sometimes we have all of us we have mistakes, you know, like a driver record or so things like that. So mm. make sure to disclose everything. We're all human. Don't, exactly.
2: Don't try to hide anything. Yeah, yeah. Because exactly. they'll find it.
1: Mm, exactly. They'll find it. Yeah. they're, they're, they're going to find it. Company. So they
2: can afford to be honest yeah yeah let's be in. honest yeah, yeah they're going to dig and
1: besides that they, they have these companies that they're gonna run this background check right eventually they will know right. so the so these uh two captains they were really professional they wanted to know um what will be your behavior pretty much during uh certain circumstances or events like emergencies so what would you do if this happened oh okay so they are not um, asking you as a force officer they are thinking about you as a captain right you know? the, your decision making process what are you thinking about what's is your next step how do you use your resources so it's everything ATC flat and that's your uh, your first officer your captain um, the company Mm -hmm. everything so uh, pretty much uh, that is all that they want to know right right
2: and and you think that the obviously the interview went well but you, you did you walk away from that interview feeling that you did a good job yes okay what was the hardest question that you believe that they asked you
1: it was not a technical question, but the questions was something like this. Uh, tell me about the time that you had to fly with someone uh, you didn't like. How did you handle the situation? Aha! Yeah. Conflicting personalities exactly. on
2: the flight deck. Yes, we talk about this all the time.
1: Yeah, this is not a technical question, but it's about emotional intelligence, right? I think that's one of the hardest questions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and,
2: you know, it's funny because today, today was a big day for us. We had loft and we'll get to us, we'll get to to our training here in a minute, but we had loft today. And you said that in the debrief, you were saying, yeah, sometimes, you know, it's, it's difficult to fly with people that lack emotional intelligence. And our check airman looked at you and went, wow. I like that. And that's a great term, emotional intelligence. And that is really what they're looking for, isn't it? In an interview, they're looking to see are you an asshole? I mean, there's no other way to put it. Are you a a person that I want to go and have a beer with after the flight is over? Are you the person that I can have a conversation with that's not going to jump down my throat if you and I disagree on a topic or something? Are you going to be mature, articulate? intelligent emotionally sound or are you going to be one of those pilots that gets all bent out of shape over the littlest of things and starts yelling at people and you're like wait whoa 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 what's happening here are you going to be a
1: jerk Yeah, exactly because sometimes you will be flying with the same guy for days during uh, seven hours in a aluminum tube so <laughs> you have to do something right and you have to behave properly, even if the other pilot is not the, you know, the, yeah. a great guy. Yeah. So it, it doesn't matter. You know, you just you might to, not get
2: along, and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay, but you have to recognize it, and you have to be, like we always say, you have to have thick skin in this industry, and you have to, especially as a first officer, you have to be a chameleon. You have to be able to adjust how you are in you know at work with this particular person because maybe one person is going to only want to talk about you know the their sports the sports and football and yeah. you know who who look at this coach and look at that coach and maybe you are interested in that maybe you're not maybe you disagree maybe your home team is a rival to their home team but you have to be able to get past that and realize well we have a job to do
1: you you know you you told me something like that a couple of days ago I don't know if you remember. Uh, You used to fly with a a captain who nobody wants to fly with him, right? Right, right. But then uh, you realize that he was kind of perfectionist. But it's not too bad at all because he was following the rules. And sometimes people don't like follow
2: the rules. And what you're talking about is, just to give a little bit of context to those listeners out there, they're like, what are you talking about? Many, many, many years ago, I was telling Gorky over dinner uh, about a captain I flew with over at Sandpiper. And the minute I saw his name, I had never flown with him before. I didn't know who he was. And I asked one of my roommates at the crash pad, you know, what, what do you know about this guy? And they're like, oh, dude, drop that trip or calling sick. I'm like, what? Like, oh yeah, uh, that guy, man. Every he's check airman, and every flight is going to be a check ride. He's going to quiz you on everything, and if you get even a syllable wrong, he's going to be calling you out on it. And you can forget about like reading the paper or you know anything. He goes, he goes. He is a militant. He is, you know. I'm like, well, okay. That, that I've flown with people like that before. Not a big deal, I guess. Sure enough, after the first flight, he was like snapping at me because I wasn't reading the checklist verbatim. I was maybe you know, uh, truncating or abbreviating some things or, or maybe I wasn't enunciating prickly, or I was doing something out of order from the way it is in the book. And he, this person was very much black and white. He goes, there's no gray area. He goes, you do it exactly the way you're supposed to do it when you're supposed to do it. The script, you know, we've been hearing a lot about that this week, right? The script, the script, follow stick to the, script. the script, stick to the script. Now, as long as you get it done, most people don't care about the script, right? so what you did this a little bit out of order or you you've did both of these flows together because it saves time okay but in the training environment you stick to the script and this particular captain slash checkerman stuck to the script to the point where he was like basically militant and after that first leg i was upset and I called home and I said, Dad, this guy, man, my friends told me about him. He's kind of a jerk. I don't know if I want to fly the rest of the month with him. I had to fly the whole month with him. And I was told that, you know, hey, uh, is flying with him going to make you a better pilot? Aren't you supposed to be doing it the right way anyway? What are you complaining about? What? You know, you're a professional. Do your job. Learn something from him. And when he makes a mistake, call him on his shit. Make it a game. She goes, you'll probably end the month a much better pilot. And I was like, deflated. And then I thought, you're right. And so that's what I did from that day forward for the rest of the month. I would fly like every single time it was in the simulator on a check ride. And when he made a mistake, I'd call him on it immediately. I'm like, don't you mean this, Captain? And he'd smile. And the minute I started doing that, he backed down a little bit and he let a few things go and he was a lot more personable and i started asking him about like his son and hockey and things like that that he was into and the next thing you know he's like hey you want to go grab a beer on the layover
1: but you find a common I'm interest sure. right that's yeah. the key yeah
2: and it wasn't necessarily because i'm a big sports fan or anything but i just asked the questions and i was interested in what he had to say even,
1: even a really small talk you know could be really productive Yeah, break the ice.
2: And I think, you know, I never really thought about it, but what you said, it kind of fits. I went from being emotionally hurt or annoyed to having the emotional intelligence, to borrow your words, to say, well, let me just make the best of the situation and not let it bother me and have the thick skin. and, And at the end of it, I made a friend. That's great. You know, and that's what I really wish that the listeners out there that are thinking about getting into an aviation career think about, you know, um, you're not going to get along with everyone, but you can at least have the emotional intelligence to try or emotional maturity, if you will.
1: Uh, Besides that, um, it's safe. So sometimes... Here is slightly different, but if you go to South America, Central America, there are huge power distance between captains and first officer. Yes. And that could be a safety issue. Mm-hmm. So you have to take that into account. Yeah. Sometimes it's really important besides just getting along with your captain or your first officer. Because uh you need to keep this uh communication channel up. Right. Yeah. right. You never know. What's Break happen, down those so.
2: barriers of communication. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you here you were you you got through your interview. You got a job offer. And how long between the job offer and the day you started?
1: Uh, around one month, about a month, and that yes. gave you
2: enough time to tell your previous employer, exactly. "Hey, this will be my last month." Like, did you tell them, "Hey, I'm going"? Did you walk into sheet Pilot and say, "Look, I got a job here at Legacy, and I'm going to be going yeah, there exactly as the a state"? Did.
1: You know, I go there. I gave them the, the right time. You have to be professional no matter what, right? Yeah. So you're don't not too quick and, and tomorrow, yeah, because, yeah, you don't, want, you don't want to be that guy. Not at all. Right. Because you burn that bridge, and then exactly. what happens if you get furloughed? Now you exactly. can't. Go
3: at least back, you know? they
1: are not going to take that personal with okay. a thousand spiders here. And they know the current environment. So they are aware of the situation. So you don't have to worry about that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now, your indoc started a while ago. Um, you were brought here to the big Dallas, the big D, and you went through your indoc class, and you had a lot of people in your class,
1: right? Yes,
2: uh, we were around 60. 60 people. And we have classes starting every three or four days, right? Every week, yeah. Every week, at least one class starts? Uh, at least every week. At least every week. So 50 people. What was your class made up of? Like,
1: what kind of pilots? Uh, different backgrounds. Corporate guys. Military. Navy. Uh, Air Force. Uh, major. flows from regionals. Mm-hmm.
2: And, yeah. And out of that class like that, I mean, you, you learn about indoctrination in doc, you learn about company procedures, you know, rest requirements and everything from scheduling to, um, standard operating procedures, basically, right? SOPs, SOPs are, it's like the rules, right? The standard. Yes. And we always follow SOPs when we're out on the flight line. And then you had a little bit of time off. And you started long-term training, training, flight training. And that's where you and I met. Exactly. So day one, of, and here's the difference. Physical. Yeah. The, the, the difference between over at Pioneer and over here at Legacy is after Indoc, our systems, they gave you a, uh, what do we call ethos or a computer-based training. And we had to complete it at home on our own. They give you a couple of weeks to do that. It, it's like 26 or 27 hours of training uh, online on the computer. And then, you know, you take systems tests and systems validations and stuff. And you're doing all this online. It's very monotonous and boring. And, you know, you got to try to stay awake for that stuff. Even if you don't, you know, it's the first time on the airplane, it's, you know, it's the computer generated voice with a couple of voices. You are correct. You know, you are, that is incorrect. You know, and you have to go back and, and really study and, and look at all the digital resources you have on your tablet, all the different fo- um, manuals. It's a lot of work.
1: You have plenty of resources available, yeah. even instructors, real instructors, they will be available to you uh, if you have a, like, a question. Did a you do the question. virtual system tutorial stuff? I didn't have the, the need because um, I was already type on the aircraft ah. that I'm flying with now. But uh, yes, I uh, I was aware of that, you know, mm-hmm. that I have the, all the resources available if needed. Yeah. So, but um, a couple of my classmates, they use it and yeah. they say that's really great asset that they have there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then so you, you went through your computer-based training and then you showed up day one. And that's the day you and I met because day one, we're in what they call the virtual training device, the VTD or something like that. Or virtual device trainer, VDT, however they call it. And so we're, here we are, we're sitting there, and it's me, it's you, and it's a ground school instructor. And we're sitting in front of what equates to five or six touch screen monitors that are laid out just like the flight deck of the Airbus A320 with touch screen, every button you can touch. And we started going through all the systems and all the experiences from entering flight plans to flying departures to engine out procedures all of that in this trainer it's not a simulator it's just a training device in a classroom one-on-one instruction here is what happens when you lose hydraulic system like the yellow hydraulic system and they can show you what it looks like in the airplane and then they have a computer off to the side and we were talking about the diagrams and 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 this is where the air flows through this ductwork and this shut off valve and this is what closes and so there you're going through all this and we did that for what two weeks? Two weeks, almost two weeks, two weeks. So yes. So 5 days on, 2 days off, 5 days on, 2 days off. And then we came back to do the simulator training.
1: The sim training.
2: So that was 3 weeks.
1: Almost 3 weeks and then well, maneuvers validation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we loved. did 2 weeks in the sim. Um, And we did a week of, you know, get in the simulator. This is what it looks like. You know, and this is how do you turn on the aircraft? It's cold, dark aircraft. And now we were doing it on this VPT, a virtual procedures training uh, trainer. And then we now we're doing it in the simulator and we're doing some flows. How did this training environment where we have all these resources with digital Training devices and full motion simulators. how did this training differ than what you experienced over at Pioneer?
1: It's pretty close, to be honest. Is it? My former company, they have a really good training program as well, really great instructors. It was uh, it's pretty close. Both companies, uh, great instructors, good atmosphere, and they are willing to help you. If it's needed, you know. Yeah. Yes.
2: No one sat there with a a stick and hit you in the arm. No, no, not at all.
1: Not at all. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, They know that they will have um, students with different backgrounds. So many of them, uh, they never had the chance to fly airliners. So the crew resource management is completely different from them. So they had to take that into account. And they do that, yeah,
2: yeah. And and so we, what's been your favorite part of training here? Past few months,
1: my favorite uh, part. We are almost (laughs) almost done. One more day. Yeah, that's my favorite part. Yeah, it's uh, It could be like uh, overwhelming, but uh, you know, eventually it will be over, and you will be just happy. So you have to study. Work hard, play hard, and mm-hmm. eventually you will get
2: rewarded. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and you know what's you've been going through this training. What's been the hardest part for you?
1: Well, um, every company has different procedures. even if being the same aircraft, but you have to stick to script, right? Mm-hmm. Follow the company rules, fly the aircraft in the way that they, uh, in the way. That they want mm-hmm. and make sure to fly safe. Yeah. So, their profiles, their. Yeah. Yeah. In my mind, there are three different versions of how to fly the Airbus. Yeah. So, and I had to get rid of, of the previous two. Yeah. So, so you had your that's, initial
2: type rating, which was Airbus. Yeah, Airbus, training is standard Airbus. From standard Airbus. Yeah, and then the other company. Then you had the, the yeah, other company, then. And, and their and way, in a, a legacy. So, and now at legacy, yeah,
1: yeah, I, and it is because uh, every company has different needs, and the procedure are completely different, right? So, pretty much they are tailored procedure, yeah. yeah. And that's tough because really, if you stop and think about it, you've maybe it's
2: a good thing uh, more than anything else, but you really have gone through all three of these training events in a relatively short period of time, within the last three years. So in three years, you've gone through three different Airbus training events. Yes. Uh, pretty much three different initials. initials. Three different initials. Yes, and, and, then, and I was joking around, and I was telling one of my instructors, I'm like, I don't know who I owe money to, but to give me or pair me up with an FO that has had... Three different training events in the last three years. I mean, I couldn't have asked for anyone more prepared. I mean, you know more systems than
1: I did. Well, but you have been great as well. You're very knowledgeable as well. So, don't get me wrong. I think the same for you, right? Great partner.
2: I appreciate Uh, that. I do appreciate that. Now, our training here is almost done. Uh, Yesterday, we did uh, maneuvers validation. That's a big one. Okay, so that's where... You're in the simulator with a Czech airman, and you're going through everything you've learned in the past two weeks. And you're going through the single engine uh, takeoffs, meaning your V1 rotate and boom, something happens engine fire, engine failure, uh, compressor stall, uh, major damage, engine fail, either way. And you have to keep the airplane lined up on the center line and track outbound on the runway, fly the heading. And you have to do all the call-outs and procedures perfectly. I mean, like and it take it's tough because all of your senses in that simulator are being utilized from motion to hearing, to tactile senses, to visual senses with what's going on on your PFD and your your nd and your ECAM upper ECAM engine warning displays and you're learning a million new acronyms because every company is going to call something a little bit different and so you're going through all this and this litany of the script as we were saying and it's it's it has to come second nature it has to because if you stop to go oh well uh which how much should i trim and and, like, and you get to the point where you know what to do, but then you're so overloaded that all of a sudden you stop breathing.
1: A couple of days ago, one of my instructors, one of my friends, did you see this movie Top Gun Maury? Yeah. Do you remember? He, uh, he told um, uh, the other pilot is a rooster,
3: mm-hmm.
1: if you think you're dead, yeah, yeah, <laughs> something like that, right? I don't
2: even. It's remember. like that. I mean, the original Top Gun said the same thing. Yeah, if you think you're dead, um,
1: it doesn't mean you
2: are not going to the thing. But you have to. You have to know it well exactly. enough to where you don't have to think about what you're going to do next. You have to anticipate. You have to react, and you have to do what you're supposed to do. How much pressure do you put in the left rudder if the right engine has failed? And how long should you hold it in for before you trim? And then how long should you hold that trim for? What are you looking for? Where are your eyes going? And what are you asking your, your pilot monitoring to do? What are you supposed to say to ATC at that very moment? And how does this change with an engine fire versus an engine failure? And all these things, all these senses are being tested. And you're processing thousands, if not tens, if not hundreds of thousands of bits of information in your mind all at one time. And then they're like, "Okay, that was good. Uh we're going to s- pause the sim. It's my sim. We're going to snap you back to a uh, 5-mile final. Uh we're going to do it again this time. Uh this time it's going to be to a go around or this time it's going to be to a landing. Um, and uh, in the meantime, you're sweating. <laughs> you're sweating, your palms are sweaty, or you're, you're like your glasses are getting fogged up, you know, your everything is everything is going on and you're like <sighs> And a couple of times we looked at each other and we're like Namaste. Namaste. Breathe. Brother. Breathe. Breathe. <laughs> Namaste. And so <laughs> we're laughing, you know, because yeah. it's it's kind of like when an, an emergency is happening or an event is happening in real life out on the line, you have an emergency descent and all of a sudden you're going through all this stuff and you look at the pilot next to you and sometimes you just have to grab him in the shoulder and go, hey, bro, you good? <sighs> yeah. Okay. 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 Let's get back to it. All right. So, and and it's like that in the simulator for four hours straight with a yeah. 10 minute break in between. So, for four hours straight, you're getting bombarded by this. And all the reason a Squawk didn't podcast has not been out regularly lately is because we've been going through this, and when you get back to the hotel room, you're exhausted. Maybe not physically, but mentally, you're exhausted. So, and they tell you, they said, just go have an adult beverage and, you know, go hang out, have a good dinner, and don't look at this stuff till tomorrow, and, and that's what we were doing. And then in the morning we would get ready, we would study for a few hours at the breakfast, and then we'd go again. And yesterday was our MV, we passed. Today was our L-O-F T or Loft, line operated flight training. And tomorrow's our LOE, which is our check ride. Now, it's not a type ride, because we're both type. So we should actually be studying right now not recording this podcast. So it's going to be a little shorter today than, than usual, but but yeah. Uh, we're we're ready to study. We're ready. We're ready, I'm telling you. Um, and we've got the paper tiger hanging above my head here in the hotel room. We're going to go through some flows. We're going to go through uh, like which airports we're going to be going to tomorrow. We're going to be preparing. And then by tomorrow afternoon, I completely expect both of us to be on our way Get out of here and go home for a few days, before you have to come back for some international training, and I'm going to have to come back in a week yes. to do some what we call pilot leadership and mentoring training, aka Captain Charm School. So, uh, Gorky, <laughs> it's been it's been both exhausting and very rewarding.
1: Yes. Oh, I'm glad to have this conversation with you. Yeah. It's been a while, and, you know, you have been a really great partner. It's almost a month since the first time we, we met. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You never forget your training partner. No, 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 never. No, never. It's no. A,
2: it's like you like you had a good training partner over at uh, Pioneer. Yes. And you probably had a really good training partner yes. over at uh, Taka exactly. and Avianca. So you never forget the people that you have suffered through ptsd but, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's, a, it's a it's something good at the end right. uh building like relationships yeah yeah this is great yeah, eventually this is a really small war hopefully we are going to fly together soon. yeah the real world uh, yeah i know yeah it's gonna happen i have to pick up some trips going through miami and have, yeah, uh, have a,
2: a cortadito and uh an <laughs> empanada um, yeah. together but uh, you know before we wrap it up here today uh, Gorky I just want to say thank you for sharing your journey with us sharing your story we're going to talk about two two things that we were talking about with our instructors lately on the debrief you know after we're done we sit there and chit chat you know a little bit um, one was something that I asked one of our instructors hey did you hear about this pilot who went viral with this PA and everybody kind of like <sighs> uncomfortably went, yeah, we heard. What am I talking about? I'm talking about an article from CNBC, which I'll put a post, uh, or I'll put a link in the show notes here. Uh, It's entitled, An Airline Pilot Went Viral for Scolding His Passengers. A Harvard Expert Says It's Great Leadership. And bravo. Uh, Not everybody agrees with them. I'm going to remain neutral, as I'm sure Gorky will too. But what we're talking about is a video of an American Airlines pilot scolding his passengers during a pre-flight announcement went viral. Some people deemed it patronizing or patronizing, however you like to say it, tomato, tomato. Others, including a Harvard University expert, are hailing the pilot's speech as an example of strong leadership at a time when passengers desperately need it. I say bravo to the American Airlines pilot. He has every right to do that. He's the captain of the flight, and he's in charge of what happens, said. Bill George, an executive fellow at Harvard Business School and author of True North, Emerging Leader Edition. He tells CNBC, if something goes wrong, he has the obligation to go back to the nearest airport and land, and no passenger likes that. In the video, which started circulating last week, the pilot set some ground rules for his passengers, including what they should expect from their flight attendants and how they should treat each other during the journey. I'm not going to read you the whole article but I do have some audio. Let us hear an example of what was said.
0: I'm really here for your safety after that. They're here to make the flight more enjoyable. They're going to take care of you guys, but you will listen to what they have to say because they represent my will in the cockpit or in the cabin, and my will is what matters. Be nice to each other. Be respectful of each other. I shouldn't have to say that. People should treat people the way you want to be treated, but I have to say it, every single flight, because people don't, and they're selfish and rude, and we won't have it, okay? Stow your stuff, get it out of everybody else's way, put your junk where it belongs, everybody have paid for a space. Don't lean on other people, don't fall asleep on other people, don't pass out on other people, or drool on them, unless you've talked about it, and they have a weather-resistant jacket. <laughs> Alright, a little bit of fatherhood here, the other thing. The social experiment on listening to videos on speaker mode and talking on a cell phone on speaker mode, that is folks. Cool. Over and done in this country. Nobody wants to hear your video. I know you think it's super What's sweet. It probably on? is. But it's your business, right? So keep it to yourself. Use your AirPods, use your headphones, whatever it is. That's your business, okay? It's just part of being in a respectful society. Middle seaters, I know it stinks to be in the middle. Raise your hands. Raise them up. Anybody in the middle? Like five people. Yeah, right. Just full. All right, nobody's listening. Fine. You own both armrests. That is my gift to you. Welcome on board our flight
2: all right so someone recorded this posted it on instagram and of course you knew this every flight everyone's recording everything at all times this captain made this pre-flight announcement what do you think were they right in saying that good for him kudos or was just it kind of tacky and unprofessional
1: uh, well I believe that if you are working for a particular company you know the rules usually they have a uh, social media policies that you have to follow you just stick to it
2: it's yeah. basic. yeah yeah but i mean if, in, in his in his defense he was making a, a pre flight pa the captain has the discretion to Say, I mean, there we have a script. Remember, we were talking about this just five minutes yes, ago. Follow yes. the script, right? We have a script, but
1: it gets very boring. But we live in a world that someone may get offended, so yeah, you have
2: to be careful. So, do you say nothing? Do you say no, just the bare minimums and make it as sterile as possible, or do you add some color and and
1: Put your own personality into the PA. What is right? You can put. uh, You can set your own like personality, but without being, you know, that's too much. He was a little, I think, condescending. Could be, you know. But uh,
3: there
1: are maybe better ways to to say that. Yeah, or keep it short. Keep it short. Keep it simple. I've been working on them. Something like pay attention to the cabin crew instructions.
2: Yeah,
1: well, we have a script. We have a
2: verbatim script that you could read, and it's it's there. You can highlight it. You can cut it out. You can practice in the mirror. And this is usually a captain duty. And since I, I'm
1: not saying that uh, um, it's right or wrong. It's just not not my style. Right. Yeah. Right. And I and I agree with you. I agree
2: with you. And I think our listeners out there. You know, we're all entitled to our opinion. Some of you out there might go, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, he's sick and tired of babysitting all these people. Why not? Tell him to sit down and shut up and hold on. I mean, maybe, but this is not Wally World Airlines, okay? This is a mainline carrier that a captain at a mainline carrier decided to do this. You you know you're going to get recorded. You know you are. So there's no getting away with anything. You may feel this way, at Southwest, they do a lot of these kind of PAs. The flight attendants do all kinds of jokes and voices, and they're very animated, and the captains come out. and I even know a few captains personally that they come out, and when there's a delay, ground delay, they they pull out their guitar, and they start playing guitar. But it's a different corporate culture. It's a different corporate culture. Now, you're dealing with the main three, American, Delta, United, and some could argue even JetBlue and, and Frontier as some big, big airlines out there as well, but any of these legacy carriers or these really big major carriers, you know, you got to kind of find the balance between professionalism and light-weighted or light-hearted banter. I think this particular situation, my opinion, which I don't normally give, is that it's not that he said anything wrong, but I think it was a little condescending. And even the passenger's reaction, I don't know if you could hear it, they're like, wait, what? What's going on? What is he
1: saying? Yeah, the first words didn't sound, let's say, elegant. Right. Yeah. You're right. Uh, it's not about being right or wrong. Something's about how to how say it. How to yourself. say it.
2: Just like in an interview. It's how mm-hmm. you Express respond and, re- and explain that matters.
1: You can be a really polite and happy person or put your personality in during your speech. Yeah. However, don't go too far. Exactly.
2: Now, we want to know what you think. Um, if you want to send us some feedback, you know where to do it. Aviatortony.com, Alpha Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar November Yankee.com, or send us an email at av- aviatortony at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your version of a Captain PA that it would be acceptable for a captain to make why well because if tomorrow goes well then my next step is ioe and then soon thereafter i'll be out there on the line giving my own pas not something i've you know i've done it before not something i'm really intimidated by i have no problem speaking go figure but uh but yeah what do you think do you think we should stick to the script so that we're standard operating uh, the standard operating procedures are being, you know, uh, withheld? Or do you think it's okay to add a little bit more color to your PAs? I did recently hear a captain I flew with say some really cool things that I thought, man, I like that. And I'm going to try to incorporate that. And in it, every PA somewhere in there, he said, and folks, for the next two hours and 30 minutes on our journey today on flight, blah, 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 we are all stuck together. In this large hollow tube, six miles over the surface of the Earth, traveling 500 miles an hour, and I gotta tell you, it's be kind to each other, be nice to each other, be be friendly with your neighbor, just for two hours and 30 minutes until we get to our destination, and you'll probably never see us or them again. And he did it; it just no different really than this other PA, but he was positive in his message, and he was colorful. Off script, off SOP, but he really did spin it in a positive way. And I don't think anybody would have been offended by what he had said. So I think there's a balance between the two. I don't think you need to be a robot. A yeah. robot, but I don't think you should be condescending either.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You're right, Tony. Yeah. Have you ever
2: flown with someone that made a PA that you thought, oh my God, what's. Uh, yes. Yeah.
1: I have flown. We're a couple of guys. <laughs> eh, yeah, they have their their own style, but... Yeah. Yeah.
2: I had one, I had one, and I just, just uh, a story, just a quick story, because I know a lot of you out there uh, enjoy these. Many, many years ago, about 16, 17 years ago, we're in Los Angeles, I was based in Los Angeles for Sandpiper for a time, and we're taxing out, and we have what's called min takeoff fuel. Okay? Gorky and I know about this, every day we're, taxing out min takeoff fuel. And if you're below min takeoff fuel, you either need to go back to the gate to get more fuel, or you need to contact your dispatcher before you get the takeoff clearance so that they can adjust some numbers so that they can figure out, okay, let's see what we can adjust to lower that takeoff fuel so that you don't have to go back to the gate for more fuel. And what happened was our dispatcher was not re- responding to us. And at the time, the only way we could really communicate with dispatch legally was through ACARS. Or if we were at, you know, parked. With A cell phone, but we weren't parked, we were taxiing in line, getting ready for takeoff. You know, three airplanes in front, two airplanes in front. Now we're one airplane in front of us. When we got up there, and dispatcher did not reply after three attempts to get a hold of them and say, Hey, we're below min takeoff fuel, let's adjust these numbers. I don't want to have to go back to the gate. Sure enough, dispatcher never replied to us 30 minutes into it, and we had to tell the the tower that we couldn't take a takeoff clearance. We had to go back to the gate for more fuel. So sure enough, we made a couple turns. We went back to the gate. The PA that the captain made while we were taxiing back, which is another whole issue completely, why are you making a PA while you're taxiing an airplane? But he said, well, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, this is what happened because of the long traffic line to get out of here today. uh, The taxiing took much longer than we anticipated, our dispatcher. We were trying to get a hold of them. So that we can adjust some numbers and take off legally and get you to your destination." He did not reply to any of our requests to communicate. And so in typical Sandpiper fashion, we're going to go back to the gate to have to get more fuel and it's going to delay the whole process. We apologize. Less than three minutes later, we're parked at the gate and the chief pilot's coming up the jet bridge and pulls the captain out of the cockpit and says, "'What the hell did you say back there?' And the captain's like, what? And he goes, I just got a phone call from corporate headquarters. Did you just make a PA saying da 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 in typical Sandpiper fashion, da 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 And he goes, well, shit, yeah, but how the hell did you hear about that? I just got back to the gate. I said that five minutes ago. And he's like, well, damn it, you have a director of maintenance on your aircraft in the back, and he made some phone calls to the freaking CEO, and they, wanted to, they want me to pull you off this flight and reprimand you. And he's like, he tells the chief pilot, is anything that I said not true? And he goes well. Well, no. He goes. So you want to take me off this flight because I did not lie. He goes. Well, just make it look like I'm yelling at you and go back to work. <laughs> 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 so yeah, but, you know, just for all yeah. you out there that maybe you're gonna, you're, every every
1: company you know has issues. So, but it doesn't mean that you have to be unprofessional or. Yeah, be clever yeah. yeah you can't get away with there anything are, anymore don't I try there are different ways to get the things yeah. fixed so yeah Yeah.
2: now uh, we're gonna wrap this up today with one last thing that we were in we were literally in the simulator and we're getting ready to take a break the sim was coming off motion and the uh, the Chuck Herman was looking at his phone and he goes oh crap I just got a bunch of notifications did you hear about the uh 757 that evacuated in Atlanta. And this is what we're talking about from Simplifying Magazine. We'll put a link in the show notes. Delta Boeing 757 evacuated after the tires burst in Atlanta. And we talked about that. We're like, "Well, how does that happen?" Well, ladies and gentlemen, we don't know yet. So don't speculate. But here's what this article by Charlotte Seat says. Things took a flaming turn for one Delta Airlines flight After landing back at Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport yesterday evening, as the operated aircraft experienced an unfortunate burst in the left landing gear tires and caught fire. But thanks to the quick response of the airline's crew and airport safety personnel, all 190 passengers were safely evacuated. A tire blowout uh, is not very common, but it does happen. Delta Airlines flight in question was Delta. One four three seven. It was the daily scheduled commercial flight from Atlanta to Richmond and back to Atlanta. It occurred on August second. Operating this flight was one of the airlines, Boeing seven five seven two hundred, registration number November six seven six Delta Lima. It's a thirty-one-year-old airplane that Delta Airlines has had in their fleet since nineteen ninety-two. And on the day of the incident, the aircraft departed from Richmond approximately at 1624. That's not very approximate. It's very actual. Uh, and it uh, would land back in Atlanta around 1737 on runway 9 left. Except this landing was anything but routine, as according to the Delta Airlines spokesperson, the initial reports indicated that one of the aircraft's tires blew upon touchdown and components of the landing gear were hot, sparking a fire in the left main gear so the runway was closed for quite some time they did do an evacuation there are videos of this uh in this article i'm not going to play them because it really doesn't uh demonstrate much in terms of audio but it is really interesting to see because for the first time and i don't know how long that i've been seeing these over the last few years no one had their carry-on bag
1: yeah exactly I saw that. Yeah. And it's kind of surprising, to be honest. The crew, they did an excellent job. Um, and the passengers as well. Yeah. They, they behaved properly.
2: Right. They left their stuff and they got out, which in an evacuation, every second counts. And if one person is blocking the aisle or the door because they're trying to get a bag from overhead or under a seat, it's going to take valuable seconds that could lead to even fatalities. So, great job on everyone. The aircraft slides were deployed. All 190 people got out. I think there was only one minor injury which usually does happen off of a slide. People twist an ankle or something. And I'm not sure, exactly sure what happened there, uh but we're going to I'm sure hear more about this incident yeah, here in things, the future. Yes. And then today this morning Something happened out of Los Angeles. An aircraft, a Airbus A321. Uh, I don't have any uh, news on that, but if I find a, an article on it, I'll put a link in the show notes. It aborted takeoff today because a window opened. A window? Open. What window opens? The cockpit window. Wow. Okay, so there is a reason we follow to SOPs and yeah. follow the script and do things in order because part of our pre-flight flow is including closing your (laughs) window. Making sure that the windows are locked and secured. On the flight deck, there are two windows. One on the captain's side, one on the first officer's side. And if you don't ensure they're locked and secured, and the pin is indicating red, meaning locked and secured, you could take off potentially with the window kind of closed, but not really. This similar event could have happened to me. Last month I was coming out of Ontario. Uh, we were a kickoff flight early in the morning. I get there, the aircraft uh, had a ground power unit plugged into it, but it was a cold dark airplane. I got to the airplane, I established the aircraft power, I went and did my walk around. I came in, did my origination flow and started plugging into the to the FMS our route. The captain came, did his flow, did all his origination checks, and then we got to the point in our pre-flight where we talked about our routing and and everything and we said okay before start checklist and i looked over and i saw the captain's window was not closed and latched and i'm like uh captain um your window's open he's like what and i look over <laughs> at my window and my window was not closed and latched it was closed but it was maybe a quarter of an inch from being completely Secure. closed so that it wasn't locked Oof. and the pin was not up. And we both looked at each other and were like, what the heck? What who would do this? Who would do this? And then we thought about it. We looked forward. Our front windows were beautifully clean, not a bug on them. What happened was the cleaners came early in the morning and they cleaned the windows. And they want to be gentle with the airplane because it's an expensive aircraft. And so they didn't forcefully latch the windows. And so it was closed, but But it was not not secured. So what do you do? Do you write it up and possibly get someone in trouble? Or do you write it up and say, (laughs) hey, just as an info, make sure you brief your employees?
1: What do you do? Well, we have uh, resources available. Every company has uh, this... uh, safety management systems nobody has to be punished right exactly so use the resources available be professional and that's why we follow this uh, standard operating procedure in order to make sure to comply with every item including closing your windows windows.
2: Yeah. yeah and now that i mentioned it to you I guarantee you now you're going to go to your, uh, your pre-flight in the airplane.
1: Maybe in the past you kind of just looked at it and went, okay, but now you're yeah, going to at it. Yeah, all of us, we made mistakes, but that's why you have procedures that are basically barriers to yep. avoid these situations. Yep, absolutely.
2: Yep. Well, Gorky, I just want to say thank you for joining me today. I know we've got a little bit of studying to do tonight before we wrap it up here and, and call it a night. Uh, just thank you so much. For sharing your journey with us and your experience here at Legacy as well.
1: Oh, well, thanks to you, Tony. Uh, it has been great. So, well, hopefully, I will be your guest in the future. Yeah, All yeah.
2: I'd love to have you back and, and hear about flying the line and how your experiences are flying down there. And I've got some friends in Miami. I'll make sure that I hook you up with them and, and you'll have uh, plenty of resources to, to call on if you ever have a question because that's what we do here yeah. we
1: sounds really great we got to take
2: care of each other and make sure you know we we can be you know every every pilot that has a little bit of experience has the opportunity to mentor someone and then when that person has a little bit more experience and seniority then they're going to take their turn and mentor someone
1: so it's important yeah exactly don't be selfish don't be, yeah be cooperative uh try to you know involve in the community get get involved and Help each other,
2: yeah. Yeah, that's all we have in this industry is each other. You know, we hope that you enjoyed listening to our flight today. We request that you pay it forward by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Be sure to subscribe and follow the Squawk I Didn't Podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even audio feedback right from our website at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number 8, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee, dot com. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can also find us under Squawk Out in Podcast. And let me just say, <laughs> and let me just say one final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, stay safe, and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. See you.
3: Ya. Miau!
2: Tchau! Ai, que Deus.